Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about the sustainability of materials. I'm Manali, and this is Nasreen. This is episode six, Composites, Get It Together. This week, we'll talk to Ernie Simpson, the Global Vice President of Research and Development of TerraCycle, Inc. TerraCycle is an innovative recycling company that has become a global leader in recycling hard-to-recycle materials. Ernie is also my old boss. It's a matter of being committed to the idea that all materials are recyclable as long as you have enough work put in and you have the proper technology to back you up. Ooh, Nasreen, is that a smoothie you've got there? Looks delicious. Yep, I blended together some yogurt, mangoes, and strawberries. It's super refreshing. Nice. I've got something similar. Can you guess what it is? Is it a different blended beverage? Close. It's a beverage in a blended pouch. I've got a Capri Sun juice pouch. Ooh, I love those things. Did you bring me one? Ooh, sorry. This was my last one. But check out this pouch. It's made of several different materials in order to make it leak-proof and still flexible. That's what we call a composite material. And that's what we're going to focus on on this episode. As we talked about in our glass, textiles, and metals episodes, most products that you use aren't just one material or one element. Most things are mixtures or blends or composites. A composite is a thing made up of several parts or elements, just like a smoothie. As material scientists and engineers, we figure out all the ways we can blend or combine together different elements so we can bring the best of each component to make a material with enhanced properties, like strength, durability, weight, less expensive, all sorts of stuff. We can make super materials! The individual components can have different physical or chemical properties, but when combined, they make a new material with the best of both of these. As Gandhi once told his material scientist friends, make the composite you want to see in the world. Also, one small step for mankind is one giant leap for materials. I'm pretty sure that's an actual quote from Neil Armstrong. (laughs) Houston, I think Manali has lost it. Let's get back on track. The more challenging the application, the more there is a need for composites, like for a plane or satellites, bridges, race cars, surfboards, etc. But it's really hard to generalize composite materials since they can be made from any category of materials. Exactly. Composites can be made by layering metals and plastics, or glass and plastics, or blending plastics and ceramics, all sorts of these combinations. Some composites you've probably seen in daily life include concrete with steel rebar, carbon fiber sports equipment, and dental composites. These are all engineering composites. There's also natural composites. These are things like wood. Wood is a combination of cellulose, which is a polymer, and is reinforced with lignin, which acts like a glue that holds everything together. We've been using composite materials for thousands of years. When mud huts were first built, Our ancestors mixed together mud and straw to get bricks that were stronger than just mud. That's right, dried mud can crumble by itself, but the straws help prevent this. And a piece of straw by itself wouldn't be very strong, so combining these materials allowed for making strong brick cuts. And, over the years, different civilizations have added to our knowledge of composites. The ancient Mesopotamians around 
3400 BC glued wood strips at different angles to create plywood. That stuff's awesome. It can be used in floors, musical instruments, furniture, plywood, more like flywood. <laughs> What's happening? Manali focus. Oh, okay. Okay. Composites have even helped take over the world. Mongol warriors used composite materials like bamboo, silk, cattle tendons, and horns to craft highly effective archery bows that were swifter and more powerful than others at the time. Genghis Khan was really one of the first great material scientists. See, it runs in my family. No, Nasreen, too far. More recently, we have fiberglass. This is considered the first modern composite and was developed in the late 1940s. It's still the most common, making up about 65% of all the composites produced today. That's right. Fiberglass is used for boat hulls, surfboards, sporting goods, swimming pool linings, building panels, and car bodies. Newer composite research includes putting carbon nanotubes in plastics like Kevlar. Kevlar is what they use in bulletproof vests for super strength to make sure police stay safe. There's also research with trying to put natural materials, like cellulose, into car parts to make them stronger and lighter. How about some relatable materials? I got your back, audience. You mean like those number seven plastics? In episode one, we talked about every number except number seven. Yeah, number sevens are special plastics and plastic composites, so they need their own discussion in the podcast. I'm sure we'll bring them up again. Number seven plastics include other engineered plastics or plastic blends. These are hard to make because you can't process everything in the same way. Exactly. If you think about a smoothie or anything else you mix together in a blender, making a composite or multi-layer film is kind of like that. So all your components are the different fruits? Yeah. You chop them up into small pieces, which makes them easier to blend together into one uniform mixture. Sometimes, if my blender isn't working properly, I still have chunky fruits left in my smoothie. Does this happen with composites too? Yeah, definitely. If the plastics don't blend well, there's a thing called phase separation. This is when you have a non-uniform mixture and some of the material can fall to the bottom and some of it can float. Oh, I've seen that happen with oil and water. The oil always floats to the top. Yeah, this is because they are not miscible or otherwise known as mixable. This happens with plastic blends as well. A lot of number seven plastics can be mixtures of the other one through six plastics. Is that like if I mix or layer a PET film with a polypropylene film? Yep, that's number one and number five plastic put together. They don't want to mix, so processing can be hard. You know what's even harder? Recycling them together. Oh good, we're back to recycling again. Of course, you know I'm jonesing to talk about recycling. Recycling number seven plastics and composites is challenging. That's why scientists and engineers like our guest this week, Ernie, figure out how to add compatibilizers. Ooh, what's that? Compatibilizers are chemicals that can make the different types of plastics more compatible, so easily mixable, so they can be blended into a usable plastic smoothie composite. That sounds very fancy and very helpful for recycling. So tell me more about this composite recycling stuff. Okay, like we've talked about in our other episodes, a lot of recycling deals with having to sort materials and that's very difficult for composites because they're multiple materials. 
Ooh, never mind. I don't like difficult things. Let's just throw it in the landfill and move on. No, even though it's difficult to recycle, it can still be done. Companies like TerraCycle and Pentatonic take composite materials to figure out how to separate out the components or recycle them together. Okay, so say I go to TerraCycle with my Capri Sun pouch. I still can't believe you didn't bring me one. Oh, I'm sorry, but quit whining and teach me how to recycle this. What's the first step? So... First, they have to determine all the materials in the pouch. Oh yeah, that's why they need material scientists like you and me. Exactly. We help identify the different materials in the pouch using fancy machines, and then we can figure out how to separate and recycle them. Are there a bunch of different separation techniques? There are many ways to separate, including optical separation, or by density, or by magnetism. That makes sense. Sometimes you can just see a material and tell that it's different. And magnetic materials would be really easily sorted using a giant magnet. Hooray! Magnets! And then there's sink float, where you chop up the material into small pieces and put in water, and the heavier stuff sinks to the bottom and the lighter stuff floats to the top. That sounds easy enough. But what if the composites are mixed and blended together really well? Sometimes. It's actually impossible to separate them, such as spandex mixed with polyester like the stuff athletic wear is made from. Mmm, I do love my Lululemons. What do you do with these mixes? You have to figure out how to recycle them or find a way to upcycle and turn the mixtures into something else. Oh yeah, I've heard you can turn smartphone screens into glassware, keeping it glassy. I see what you did there. With a well-mixed material, you can heat it all up and keep the components blended and then extrude it like you would a normal material. Extrusion. That's when you melt everything and push it out through a small nozzle and get these long cylinders of materials, which we chop up into little pellets and can use in any new product. Exactly. And with composites that we can separate once the individual components are free, some of it can be recycled normally, like we've talked about in our previous episodes. And then some other stuff like special plastics need different processing to be able to recycle and reuse. What do you mean by different processing? If you can't melt and extrude it, you'll have to figure out another way to incorporate the blends into a new product. We'll discuss this more with our guest this episode. Do you have any good examples? Hmm. Well, you know how concrete is a really well-known composite when you mix small stones and gravel together with cement? Yeah, concrete is good under the compression of all the cars that drive on roads. Exactly. But it can be made stronger when you add metal rods, wires, or meshes. Yeah like reinforced concrete. Lately, the new trend is to actually mix plastic bags into concrete and cement. Whoa, that's weird. Does it work? It's supposed to improve durability of the roads and reduce plastic bag waste at the same time. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, in Melbourne, there is a road paved with the equivalent of 200,000 plastic bags, 63,000 glass bottles, and waste toner from 4,500 printer cartridges. It's the first road in the world made of reconifold, a combination of recycled materials and asphalt. Look, Toto, instead of yellow brick, it's the trash road. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Nope, we're in Australia, mate. And we're off to see the wizard, the Australian wizard. Australia recently banned the export of their recycling waste to other countries, so the waste needs somewhere to go. Yep, and putting it into roads is a good way to reduce the waste going into the oceans. Exactly. 
And there's also the company Nelplast in Ghana, which is incorporating plastic waste into their roads. I remember when the roads were paved with gold or made of silk. Talk about progress, am I right? Sounds like we should be turning all plastic waste into roads. Forget about the other recycling methods. Well, there are still concerns that the plastics in the roads will degrade to microplastics and still end up in waterways and oceans. So while it's great that you can put plastic into new composites like this, it's not the best, most sustainable solution. But at least we're keeping plastic out of landfills for now. True, and with how hard it is to recycle most composites, they're typically thrown into the landfill. This is what happens to number seven plastics. I thought some companies were taking care of the problem. Yeah, but only a few. And unfortunately, the amount of composites consumed is a lot higher than these companies can reasonably recycle. So what can we do? The burden of sustainability with composites mostly falls on designers and engineers. The application and requirements of composites are so specific that it's the engineers that have to think of the end of life of the composites they make. A few years ago, Lay's tried to make their chip bags compostable by using PLA, which is a biodegradable plastic, to replace the non-biodegradable multi-layer ones. That sounds like a great idea. After eating my chips, I can just throw the bag on the ground and it would degrade away. Wait, that's not how composting works. You can't just throw stuff on the ground, Manali. Oh, right. I definitely meant throw in a compost heap. Yes, okay, back to my story. While this was a great idea and scientists and engineers got it to work, people revolted against the biodegradable bags. They were apparently too noisy and people didn't want to use them. It was tragic. Man, some people are the worst. As consumers, we should be the ones encouraging companies to consider the end of life of their products, not ruining the environment because the chips are too loud. The bags are too loud, not the chips. The chips are biodegradable. We're the bio degrading them. We should also be encouraging companies to use recycled material when making new composites. Like the example of the roads. Yes, exactly. But also when making things like wood plastic composite furniture or flooring. Oh yeah, instead of using brand new plastics, you could blend recycled polyethylene with wood and still get some good properties. Yep. Polyethylene is number two and number four plastics, both of which are very recyclable. That's a great idea, Manali. And I hope more people and companies start adopting these more sustainable practices in order to reduce the amount of composites that end up in landfill. Okay, now let's go hear what our guest has to say about composite recycling. Our guest this week is Ernie Simpson. Ernie was actually my boss in research and development at TerraCycle. This was my first job out of college and was also one of my dream jobs. And I'm super honored to have him on the podcast. I'm Ernie Simpson. I'm the Global Vice President of, for Research and Development for TerraCycle. TerraCycle is a recycling and sustainability company located in Trent, New Jersey. I've been here for the last 10 years, and prior to TerraCycle, I worked in a number of large companies, including DuPont Company, Johnson & Johnson Pharmaceutical. Arco Chemical. So I have wide experience in the plastic and uh, polymer area. How did the company TerraCycle begin overall? 
Terracycle started by Tom Zaki 15, 16 years ago when he was a student at Princeton University. He decided to take a look at organic fertilizer and he went into that business and actually produced quite good organic fertilizer from worm poop. And while he was doing that, he was getting a chance to use bottles from Coca-Cola. While he was doing that, someone asked him, why don't you get in the recycling business? And he did get in the rest of the recycling business. So from all the work he did in worm poop, he went into recycling. Actually, he went into upcycling first. And upcycling is when you use a material or a container in its present composition, but make it into a new form. And then he got into recycling. And recycling at TerraCycle is what I call a boutique recycling company because, of course, we don't go pick up material on the curbside. We work uh, directly with the CPG companies. So how did you decide to work at TerraCycle? worked at a lot of big companies. How did you end up working at a smaller startup when it was at, at the time it was a startup? I retired from Johnson & Johnson Pharma in 2007-2008. After retiring, I worked with a number of small companies that I helped start with friends. And most of these were sold after a few years. So in 2010, I was looking around to find another company to work with that's a startup. And I found TerraCycle. I didn't know anything about the company prior. And I thought TerraCycle needed someone with a serious polymer background. So I decided to take the job. And I've been here ever since. Okay, that's great. Um, why did you think TerraCycle needed someone with a serious polymer background? What did you kind of know about the company initially? I didn't know a lot prior to coming in. But... When I came in, I found out that TerraCycle wanted to uh, use really scientific methods and principles for recycling materials. Back in the old days, a lot of recycling companies came around, but they were not specific in how they generated new feedstock and how they processed those feedstocks into usable granules. So I thought TerraCycle had a new method, and why not? There are a lot of experience I had in the virgin polymer business I could actually use in the recycling era. So I decided to join the company just to see if I could apply some of these principles that I talked about. In terms of using science and kind of doing recycling or upcycling, um, so what does TerraCycle exactly do? when somebody reaches out to recycle something? Typically, we work with the CPGs, companies that produce packaging, and TerraCycle does not own its own manufacturing facilities. We actually use outside entities for doing our manufacturing. We produce process flowcharts, and we go to a third party, and actually, once we come to a conclusion that they can run the material as we prescribe. Then we can ship materials to the processors to be processed in whatever material uh, form that we need it to be. So what are some of the kinds of products that TerraCycle has recycled? We started out largely by looking at aluminized 
containers and aluminized plastic wrappers. Aluminized plastic wrappers are the really shiny, metallic-looking plastic you see in a lot of the insides of plastic packaging, like chip bags. These are made by depositing atomic layers of aluminum all over a plastic surface. Largely, things like juice pouches, one to be named is Capri Sun. We started out by recycling those materials back 10, 12 years ago. That was kind of the start. Then we went to things like potato chip uh, bags. We worked on flexible packaging of all kind. And then we got into the era of looking at things like cigarette filters, post-consumer diapers for children, chewing gum. We have done just about everything in the recycling area that is hard to do, and we've been successful so far. We work on number seven plastics almost exclusively. So a lot of people do not work in the area of the number seven plastics because they're multi-layer constructed films and so on. But we specialize in the number seven plastic. And things like tires and balloons and all the materials that people think, uh, you know, if it's not a um, homopolymer that has a number from one to six, then it's a number seven. So when Capri Sun initially reached out to you to recycle their pouches, or when you started working with Capri Sun pouches, what has been general processing steps that you guys take before you can determine how to recycle it? First of all, your material comes in, we analyze the material when it gets in. We run FTIR, a scan on the material, to find out the composition. And then we run a DSC on the material to determine the amount of each component. FTIR and DSC are standard instruments that help identify different types of plastics. FTIR uses infrared light kind of like the light you use in night vision goggles to differentiate different types of plastics. DSC helps identify different plastics by showing what temperatures they melt at. The melting temperatures are unique to each kind of plastic. So if you have multiple plastics in one package, you'll see multiple melting temperatures. So once we establish what the material is and the percentage of the components, we moved to using some experience and some research. We look at what's the most feasible way to recycle the material. And once we get a feasible method, we can simply put together a flow chart that could be followed by a typical processor of these types of materials. So with that flow chart, we go to a third party talk to them about what we need to do, and then we signed a non-disclosure agreement with the parties that we're going to work with. And from there, we will ship material to them. They process the materials, and they return the granules to us. How much of the material that TerraCycle like, takes in actually ends up getting recycled? Are there times where you go through this process and you end up deciding that it can't be recycled or it's not worth it? We have not encountered one material that we can't recycle so far. And we have done just about everything. It's a matter of being committed to the idea that all materials are recyclable as long as you have enough work put in. 
and you have the proper technology to back you up in that area. We don't landfill, we don't do incineration, we don't do any kind of waste to energy, uh, you know, pyrolysis or anything of that uh, kind of a method. We don't do any of those. Once we take the material in and say we'll recycle it, we will recycle it. How do you go about if you find a processy that you think will work to make a connection of someone who has it? Well, that's a difficult part because since we're dealing with a lot of new formulations, a lot of the third-party guys have not seen those formulations or the mixture of materials before. So we have to be able to convince them that it is not going to be harmful to their equipment. The key to recycling is really having the techniques for separating complex mixtures into usable feedstock. So if you have a feedstock that contains polypropylene and polyethylene and PET and, you know, a few others, one of the best way to do is to find a method that can separate those materials individually. If they can't be separated, let's say they're in a single composition, then you're going to have to find a way to recycle the complex composition without trying to separate them into individual materials. Can you give us an example of a complex material? Let's take Capricorn juice pouches. That's based on PE, PET, and uh, layer of aluminum. There have been several people who mentioned that the best way to process the material is to try to separate the aluminum from the rest of the material. Well, we disagreed, and we still disagree because we're able to process the material with the aluminum layer intact. And all you have is a material. First of all, you know, trying to separate the aluminum film from the plastic material, the, the yield would be extremely low, and you'd be destroying most of the plastic uh, just to save a layer of aluminum, uh, which is not the way we look at recycling. We, we try to preserve as much of the material as we possibly can. So aluminum film is evenly distributed through the final granules that we produce, and they're quite usable and extrudable into various items. So do you end up using these aluminum-infused plastic granules to make something, or do you sell them to another company? We sell them to another company to use a lot in lumber. Plastic lumber is a huge area. We have produced for ourselves tables and outdoor furniture for rest area in our facility here. We have produced things like enclosures for gardens in schools that Capri Sun has provided to a number of schools over the years, and we've used it in a lot of different areas that include plastic lumber manufacture. In terms of processing steps, do you think sorting can be difficult, or in general, we know that recycling different products at a municipality level, sorting is one of the harder steps? Do you feel that as TerraCycle as well? 30 years ago, sorting would be almost impossible with the complex materials that we're getting right now. But a lot of improvement has been made in sorting. You have things like optical sortation. You have uh, near-infrared. You have magnetic separation. You have eddy current separation. 
plus manual separation. You have sink float separation. So there are lots and lots of methods that are available right now that weren't available 30 years ago. So we utilize all of these methods for separating materials as they come in. Those are the key to really good recycling. You have to be able to separate the materials because if you have a mixture of polypropylene and polyethylene, it's not as valued as if you have single uh, polypropylene or single polyethylene. However, if you have a multi-layer constructed film where one layer is polyethylene and one is polypropylene, in that case, you there's no reason to actually try and separate those because they're already in a single material. Those can either be used as is or they could be compatibilized later on so that the, the granules can hold together. Are certain polymers more valuable or maintain sort of their properties and strength when you try to recycle them? The so-called engineering thermoplastics are uh, much more valuable because of their ability to withstand thermal cycling. There's melting points. Their overall resistance to solvents or things like that. I mean, those are the, the properties that really differentiate a lot of the materials from each other. I know that TerraCycle has a goal to be able to recycle everything, but mm-hmm. in terms of making it worth it, is there certain products or certain materials that like designers should stay away from when making new products? My advice to people who are making new products or uh, packages Try to avoid too many layers. The fewer the layers, is the more recyclable the material becomes. So if you have five layers in a package versus three, I can guarantee the three-layer material will be much more recyclable than the five-layer. In terms of when TerraCycle gets the material or all of the different things you've seen, what's the most difficult part of recycling the hard-to-recycle material? Well, the main challenge, once we have looked at the material and we develop a flowchart, the real challenge is to really get a processor to make the materials as we see it. And when I say this, it's not like we don't ask them to do it favorably, but sometimes the processors are not familiar with the materials that we uh, deal with because we're, we're doing some things that most people have not seen before. So we have to convince them that it's okay to run the material in their facility. Just approaching people who are not familiar with what you're doing, uh, you know, can become uh, quite difficult sometimes. I remember you were telling me about um, the diapers. Can you tell that story again? My first run on the, the diapers, I went to a facility. You know, all the technicians in the facility decided that they did not want to work on the diapers. So it ended up that myself and the two sons of the owner of the facility had to run the process. And we were the ones that run the entire process. And the technicians took a break and didn't return until we were done. So I asked one of the guys that, you know, how fast do you drive into work in the morning? And uh, he said, well, why do you ask me that? I said, I just want to find out. He said, well, about 70 miles an hour. And I said, you had a greater probability of getting into an accident than uh, you're going to have one here trying to run this diaper because (laughs) we sterilized the material prior to bringing them in the facility, but they they didn't want to hear anything about that. By the way, a similar process is being used right now in Amsterdam. Amsterdam has 
actually mandated that diapers have to be recycled. And I'm talking, you know, the old disposable types have to be recycled. And it's gaining traction all over the world that people can actually recycle diapers. Is it challenging or how is it different when you're working with metals or ceramics or other sort of composites that are not necessarily fully plastic? If we work with uh, materials uh, that, let's say, metals or ceramic, what we usually do is to sell our metals to a smelting company that will smelt it into new alloys or so on. We would do the same thing with uh, ceramic because we control, you know, the plastic recycling. But because of processing, we usually go to people that are able to process things like metals and ceramics and other materials. So you would separate those parts out? Yes. We'll separate plastics from metals or from ceramics, yes. And we deal with the plastics. Are there any new sustainability or recycling processes or methods that are coming up that you see that are making it easier to recycle things? Because of the amount of plastics that's all over the globe right at this point, it's going to be a long time before anybody comes up with something that's going to make it easier for recycling. Do you think just in general people should reduce their consumption? What would be the best thing for just being a more sustainable planet? Well, one thing that is, uh, I think is going to improve sustainability is reuse of materials. Let's say, for instance, the loop um, uh, platform that TerraCycle is working on. This is a reusable platform that we think will take off a lot of pressure from the recyclability of materials. We're targeting containers that we think can be uh, used a hundred times. Every time they're used, they would be sent back to TerraCycle, these containers. They will be cleaned, sterilized, and then sent back to the filling facilities run by the CPGs and material will be put into these containers and sent back to the consumer. And, you know, it goes on for 100 times. Now, if you do that, that beats 100, you know, disposable that you could just for one product. It'll be 100 products that they would have tossed out in general. No, they've stopped doing that. Our thing is, and, you know, Tom Zaki, the CEO of TerraCycle, figured if we continue to put material in the atmosphere, we will never catch up to the point where we can recycle our way out of it. Because the more you put in, is the more it's going to pile up so you cannot recycle out of it. That's a really scary thought. Is there a solution to this? The loop platform was designed to cut down on the amount of material that's still going into the environment. Once you start that, then you can try to work from the backside, trying to recycle your way into a stage where you get most of the materials that's already laid out in the oceans and things like that. You're not stopping people from using goods because, uh, to me, stopping a person from uh, purchasing goods that they actually need and like is not the way to go about it. The only thing that is, find a way to reduce the amount of disposable in the environment, which is basically what Loop is about. Have you seen like an increase in the number of CPG companies or companies in general that you're working with after this recent problem with China and the bans? Not so much for the green wall in China, but 
I think more that we're seeing is the push from the mandated situation in Europe where recycling is being mandated and they have to strive to achieve certain amount of sustainable processes in the European market. Terracycle is a global company. What are some general trends that you're seeing across the globe in general besides just Europe? Well, in Asia, they're trying very hard to clean up the rivers in Asia that carry most of the trash to the oceans. And so there are lots of companies that are now working to reduce the amount of trash that goes into these tributaries in Asia. Is there any way just regular consumers or the general audience can bring TerraCycle something or do you typically work with companies? We have a system where if, let's say, a person wants to recycle some chip bags, they can go on a website and there is actually an area there you can actually download a label and you can send it into TerraCycle. People coming in and dropping off material, that's not possible. Kind of a different question. Can you tell our audience about the Trenton office and what it's like in there and the artwork? The Trenton office is unique. I can tell you all the furniture are made from recycled material. The only thing we buy new at TerraCycle are computers, printers, and other electronic equipment. There, there's not a table or chair that is brand new at the headquarters. The CEO's office is surrounded by bottles, clear bottles that hang from the roof. So, you know, the joke is that we can walk through walls and we can always enter the CEO's office by, you know, walking between these bottles that are strung in and hang down from the roof. What is your favorite thing about working at TerraCycle? My favorite is that every day we get new problems. There's not a day that someone doesn't call from a different country having a new feed stream that they'd like to take a look at. And it's really the always the fluid types of uh, activities that we do here that really interest me. It gives me great pleasure to work with the young team in TerraCycle, young, really uh, diverse and extremely bright team in TerraCycle for doing what uh, we do. And then to wrap up, is there anything you'd like the general audience to know about recycling or sustainability or TerraCycle? One of the things I'd like people to understand, we get a lot of people who think that TerraCycle is a for-profit company. So when we develop new processes, we will not be putting those processes on the internet. And so a lot of people will go on the internet and they look for processes for recycling things at TerraCycle and they don't find it. And they wonder why they can't do it. So we're happy to work with people on a normal basis to recycle any material, but we can't give away our processes to everybody. That's not possible. Just because there's nothing on the internet, it doesn't mean that we don't have lots and lots of processes for recycling. Well, thank you so much for coming in. This has been great. We've learned a lot and we're really excited to have been able to talk to you. Okay, thanks for inviting me in. This episode was written by Nasreen Khan and Manali Banerjee. This episode was edited by Jesus Hernandez of PinkFrostyPuppies.com, Nasreen Khan, and Manali Banerjee. Music was by Saucy Boy Records. 
If you like this episode, follow us on Twitter and please tweet the hashtag TGTMPodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at TalkGreenToMePodcast or you can email us any comments or questions you have at TalkGreenToMePodcast at gmail.com.